Hey, it's Andy from Talking to Teens. It would mean the world to us if you could leave us a five-star review. Reviews on Apple and Spotify help other parents find the show, and that helps us keep the lights on. Thanks for being a listener, and here's the show. You're listening to Talking to Teens, where we speak with leading experts from a variety of disciplines about the art and science of parenting teenagers. I'm your host, Andy Earle. We are here today with Megan Maz. She is an award-winning researcher who studies adolescent sexual socialization. Specifically, she looks at how social media, sexting, and online pornography work together to influence the attitudes and behaviors of teenagers with regard to their sexuality and gender. We're going to be talking today about a topic that, according to Megan's research, only 7% of parents have spoken to their teenagers about, but it is a critical topic. Let's jump in to some of Megan's research on porn sexting, social media, and teenage sexuality. Megan, thank you so much for coming on the show today. You kind of research a topic that, uh, you know, is, is a, maybe an unconventional topic to research or is, uh, <laughs> you know, kind of <laughs> a, a taboo topic. And so I, I'm really interested uh, what compelled you to devote your career to studying porn and internet uh, sex and online uh, sexting and all of the things that you are doing in your work. Yeah, all the scandalous things that teenagers do on the internet, right? All this stuff um, that nobody wants to talk I about. Know. You're like, hey, let's jump right into it. <laughs> you know, I think that is actually part of it is that I um it is that I'm sort of it's a personality of trait of mine that I've always been one, even I guess apparently as a little kid, to sort of acknowledge the elephant in the room or talk about things that people aren't comfortable talking about. So I think there's somewhat yeah. of like something in my personality that's kind of drawn to that type of thing. Um, so for example, when I was at one point, when I knew that I was interested in psychology, I was, I was also really interested in like death and the process of all of that. And that's another topic that, you know, we don't really talk about. And yeah. so, um, so I think there's a little bit of that. I wish I had a really great story to tell to answer that question <laughs> because, um, you know, it's, it's really been a cumulative snowball kind of a deal where, Certainly my own experiences growing up in our culture and um, being a girl and a woman and, you know, and experiencing like our sexualized media and being really confused by, you know, those messages versus messages I was receiving from like my mom, which were really positive versus messages I was receiving from like church, which were really negative. Um, and so just really trying to put it all together myself, I guess. Um, and then, you know, with, with pornography in particular, because most of our, um, 
you know, our, our sort of foundations about how young people learn about behavior is through mostly through observation. I mean, there's certainly through other forms as well, but um, you know, we observe how other people act. And so we learn how to be friends by watching other friendships and we learn how to be, you know, employees by watching other employees. And, and the only place we really see sex, like actual sex is in pornography. I mean, certainly we see, um, you know, in films, they can allude to, you know, sex happening or we lead up, we we see everything leading up to sex. And so, um, artistic sex, exactly. Yeah. And so it just kind of, so it it seemed silly to be interested in romantic relationships and sexual health and sexual behavior and media influences of that behavior and not be investigating pornography. Okay, so I'm just, I'm trying to picture in my head, maybe you could walk me through how one actually studies porn. Are, are we like, we're bringing people into the lab and we're saying, oh, hey, we're going to show you a video and then blam, it's porn. Or um, we're watching their reactions or we're putting them an MRI and we're just blam, showing them some porn and then seeing what happens in their brain or that's probably not going to get approved by the IRB, huh? So, <laughs> so uh, I, I mean, how do you uh, actually go about investigating um, this, this, and especially teenagers who are not supposed to even be um, engaging in that? Yeah. So there are researchers who do put participants in the lab, you know, invite participants in the lab and show them porn clips and view their brains through fMRI technology and use um, like plasmographs to measure how aroused their genitals are and then they can sure. self-report how aroused they are and, and things like that. Um, my mob. Yep, like. yep, yep. Whoa. <laughs> yep. And as you can imagine, the majority of this research is done in Canada and in um, <laughs> European countries. It's not really yeah, done right. in the U.S. a whole lot. It's expensive to do and and you you know pretty much nailed it where we can't do it with teens and right. I don't think we will be able to anytime soon and so that presents a, a pretty big gap in the research yeah for sure that is you know unfortunate in some ways but certainly we want to be as ethical as we can so most of my research just uh, relies on self-report which can also be problematic or, you know, college students and, and teens reporting on how much pornography they've seen or what they've seen, um, at what age they've seen it, you know, how they use it, their attitudes towards it, that type of thing. So through surveys and, and, and interviews and focus groups. Okay. I hear that. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, that's got to be hard. <laughs> uh, it's uh, kind of one of those awkward things to talk about and probably, we always assume with our alcohol research that it's always underrepresented in those kind of surveys just uh, by, by default um, because, you know, the kids just are skeptical of a survey that comes from adults and is asking them about stuff they're not supposed to be doing or engaging in or whatever. So, yeah, absolutely. I mean, one of the, the best studies that we have um, that was conducted by a phenomenal team 
it is our only um, that I'm aware of our own nationally representative study. So where the sampling was done pretty well it, it, with actual adolescents, like I think as, as young as 11, but they asked them about their online experiences over the phone. And as you can imagine, so we do have some social desirability in answering, you know, surveys that are relatively anonymous. Um, but phone calls, I think, would probably even add more pressure, particularly if parents yeah, are right. around or in the same I room. I have watched porn, but don't tell my parents. Right? Yeah, so, totally. so it's hard. And of course, the, the, those statistics coming from, from, from those studies tend to be on the more conservative side than some other studies. But, uh, yeah. but you know, we also want to be cautious that you know, the way that other studies are conducted have their flaws as well in terms of convenience sampling and, and, and things like that. So uh, the science is kind of a, a mess at this point when it comes to research on teen porn use, at least. So the under 18 crowd. So, okay, you mentioned the statistics are a little bit low in some of those, especially the phone ones. But, I mean, what what kind of statistics are we talking about here? Is this something like 10% of teenagers are, are doing? Or is this something like 5% of teenagers are doing? Or <laughs> Well, um, so, so research does show, even though the, the, um, the, the statistics do vary quite a bit. Most studies will show that up to 90% of boys by the age of 17 <laughs> and up to 60% of girls by the age of 17 have at least seen it. Now, this is just being yeah. like exposed on the bus, you know, stumbling sure. upon it online, uh, what have you. It's, it's more like five to 30% of the eight to 12 crowd, um, with the 30% being more uh, unintentional exposure and that 5% being more like they, they were seeking it out online, they Googled it or what have you. But in terms of like weekly use, monthly use or exposure, those statistics are kind of all, all over the place, but sure. we can sort of rely on about a third of adolescents in high school are using porn pretty regularly and, and more than half, um, you know, are, are seeing it quite a bit and almost all have seen it, you know, at least once. So then uh, where do parents fit into that? Or is there any data on like it's so 90% of kids, uh, the males at least have seen uh, or at least admit that they've seen um, or been exposed to it. So is that about the, the same about 90% of parents, you know, have talked to their kids about porn and have like had conversations about it? Or is that more like kind of 80, 80% or it's a little lower than that or what? We're talking like 7%, like 7 Seven. That's what we found. So we got some work um, to do, parents. Yeah, yep, yep. In our in a, a study that we did of over two thousand college students, we found that only seven percent had parents who ever discussed pornography. Wow. With them. Okay. 
So if you're but, hearing this yeah. and you're like, well, I haven't, I haven't done that. Um, you're not alone. No, you're not alone. <laughs> nope. But we do have some work to do. You're not alone, but yeah, it's, it's time to change that for sure. Is, is porn really that bad? That's a good question. I mean, they're going to be curious about it. You know, y- 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 maybe it's better to like be exposed to it before you just find yourself in a sexual situation and have no idea, um, you know, how things work down there and all that. Um, are, are there are there benefits to porn? What do we know about kind of uh, how it actually, um, what the effects are on uh, kids? Well, so those are... There's a lot of, there's actually a few questions in that, uh, that I can, that I can sort of walk through. Um, and I would first want to start off with saying that really wondering, is it all that bad is actually a great first step in terms of acknowledging just how normal it is to be sexual as a teenager and to be curious about sex and to want to see naked people and even to want to watch people have sex. That's completely natural. And, you know, we've always had sexual content, although it's really more like erotica, which means sex depicted in art, you know, throughout almost every civilization has had that. Pornography, which, which the Greek root words mean photograph of a prostitute, um, we really have only had since photography, so the late 1800s, and then really since photography became cheaper, Uh, in the 50s and 60s, where we had more widely circulated sexually explicit content to view both through magazines and then and then to rent through videos and DVDs and things like that. So I would say in general, looking at nude people and watching people have sex is one thing, right? And but the the kind of porn, the kinds of sex that teens have access to today is just totally different than like, say, when I was a teenager, when, um, you know, when we saw porn, it was, you know, nude people in magazines and sexual positions. Um, it was, we joked around like where we were at slumber parties and would try to find the Skin and Max channel, you know, and change the channel real quick if we heard like a, a parent walk by and, you know, and so that softcore porn, obviously. Um, and even in when it was in like, and it's still in, is in hotel rooms and things like that, the, the behaviors were pretty regulated. There's rules about distributing, you know, content. Whereas now it's like almost impossible to regulate internet porn because anybody anybody wants to, anybody wants a camera and an internet connection. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And so that means that our teens then have access to all sorts of stuff. So for example, I was, was talking with someone the other day who an 18 year old who was talking about one of his first experiences when he was 13 and he was Googling blowjobs and he came across like videos of girls like crying while, you know, performing oral sex on men because it was so, you know, forceful and him just being totally freaked out because A, he knew it was violent and wrong. But B, his body was also kind of reacting to it as bodies would. It's yeah, just the natural right. reaction for us to be aroused to seeing, you know, people have sex and, and just to seeing naked people. Um, that's not part of our, our, 
you know, for very simplistic terms, it's not part of our thinking brain, it's a part of our feeling brain. And, and he had no, you know, education at that point. I mean, even at 18, he's still like, what is, what is that all about? So we know very little about what having access to that kind of sex or, you know, just the craziest stuff that like, honestly, even if I really even knew about it and wanted to see it as a teenager, I could not have found half of the stuff that you can just see even when you don't want to. For instance, one of the, the, you know, common um, genres on online on free tube site porn, it's, you know, run like YouTube um, for listeners who aren't aware um, where there's no paywall. And so you can go on and see all sorts of stuff, but it's all like mixed together. So there might be some content on there that shows, you know, people engaging in consensual sex in a mutually pleasurable way that's like loving or, um, it, you know, at least respectful. Maybe with condoms. Yeah. And even uh, safe. Hey, but, <laughs> let's do that. Yeah. yeah. But it might be, you know, alongside videos of, you know, stepdaddy, punishing daughter or, you know, brother sleeping with sister, kind of a, you know, that kind of stuff we we couldn't have even found as kids or teens because it was, it's totally illegal to make and distribute anything like that, that would insinuate sex with a minor. So anyway, so there's a lot to untangle there in terms of what they're actually seeing. So I would say, you know, putting my academic hat on in theory, of course, there's nothing wrong with looking at naked people or even watching people have sex necessarily. Um, from just a purely scientific developmentally natural way, post puberty, you know, post puberty, we're, we're ready to be sexually aroused, we might not be ready for the complexity of, of sexual interactions and relationships, but our bodies are, are getting online for that. And so it's, it's natural, but what they have exposure to is just a whole other beast that makes us sort of concerned about what are the implications of, of exposure to, to stuff that we wouldn't necessarily recommend you trying in real life, certainly not um, in your first several years of, of sexual activity. So you're talking about these tube sites where you can log on for free and just start watching porn. But I mean, is that common? How many people are actually doing that compared to like Netflix or, um, you know, what YouTube or just uh, a regular, regular uh, media? Well, we actually know that that people will actually visit Pornhub more than Twitter, Netflix and Amazon combined. (laughs) so that's a lot of of action and you porn uses six times the bandwidth of hulu so (laughs) i mean it is just dominate 30 percent of the internet is porn 30 percent of it there's so much porn online we could not live long enough to watch it all it is just you know and so it's not going anywhere so when yeah, I do trainings right. and stuff with parents are like, oh, well, I've got all, you know, I've got all of these uh, filters and I, 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 I have secured everything, you know, they're good. They're not going to watch it. You know, they don't have access to it. And it's like, 
you know, that is important to do. Naive. It, it's oh, a, well, sorry, well, it's important to do, <laughs> it's important to do, but it is very, yeah, so okay. you're right. It's very nice. It's important to do for younger kids, but it's completely yeah, naive to yeah. think that that would be, you know, a completely effective at, and that is not the point. The point is not to completely protect them for it. The point is to give them the tools and the skills that they need to, to live in a world where unlimited porn is at their fingertips at all times. Right. Uh, that actually is going to, that's, that does nothing. I, if, if you're actually effective um, in blocking the porn completely so that they never see it, that's actually maybe the worst thing you could do because then they have no exposure to it at all. You've taught them nothing about it and they've learned no skills about how to deal with it or cope with it. Um, and then they're going to go off on their own and who knows what's going to happen. I guess, I mean, that's, I think, a common thread in a lot of parenting right now is just this um, this strong desire to like just protect the kids from getting exposed to any, you know, negative thing. And so, um, you know, hey, let's just, we can just block it. Let's, how do we block it? How do we just, you know, stop them from getting access to it? And, you know, probably better to have, a, have lots of conversations with them about it and somehow teach them how to regulate themselves or somehow engage with it in a positive way. Yeah. I mean, so especially, especially with older teens. I mean, so I, I yeah. do recommend, um, yeah, it, you got a six-year-old. Yeah. Like, you might want to, might want to put a couple yeah, safe uh, yeah. filters on there. Because, because we do know that for the kids under like 13, even under 14, some kids, you know, they've certainly heard about it by that age, but they're not necessarily seeking it out or, you know, it's important to, to make sure that you are both sending the message that you know that these devices are connecting them to the outside world and that there's content on there that you want to make sure that they don't see because it might make them feel confused or um, scared or, or what have you. And, you know, even if they get through it, they're still sending the message that, you know, this is something that we are aware of and, and doing. But by the time they're like 16 or something, you, you know, you sort of loosen up a little bit and give right. them more autonomy and realize like they're going to have to learn how to manage that themselves. And they're, you know, they're pretty soon they're going to be on right. their own. And because I mean, also if I'm 13 and my parent tells me, oh, there's things out there that you know, you really shouldn't see. And so we're putting blocking, uh, you know, we got blocking software on there to make sure that you don't see it. I, I'm immediately, uh, if I haven't already, I'm the first thing I'm going to do is go Google how to hack blocking, parent blocking yeah. software, figure out what blocking <laughs> software they're using. I'm sure someone's got a tutorial about exactly how to get around it. I'm sure within about two hours, I could figure out how to, it's a challenge. It would be fun, honestly, to figure out how to get around it. And then I get to check out all this taboo stuff that my parents just told me was sweet. It must be awesome if they're making such a big deal about it. I, I don't totally. know. Um, I, yep. So, uh, you know, it's kind of like, at what point do you, um, you know, make the shift or what point do you say, you know, okay, we're taking the blocking off and then does that like unleash a tidal wave or is that kind of different for every kid and you just have to be like really tuned in to kind of where your teenager is in their de development. And so how do you, for sure, uh, it's going to just depend, you know, some kids can be 15 and 
you know, they can make their own food, they can do their own laundry, they turn in their homework on time, they're, you know, dialed in, they're self-regulated, they're, they're on their way to adulthood. And there's other, you know, 20 year olds who can barely make toast or <laughs> figure out, <laughs> you know, that could literally yeah. be playing, you know, like Fortnite for 48 hours straight with barely taking any time to pee or eat or, you know, so it totally depends on what their regulation status is. And so parents got to do what works for their families. There is no better way to prepare your kids than through just education and keeping and not freaking out when you do learn of these things that they're doing so that they know that they can talk to you when there is a problem, when there is like actual violent sex that they've seen or there or somebody's asking them to send them you know videos of themselves or to video something that they're doing they're not going to go to a parent who's freaking out about the littlest thing they're just not not. they know that 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 they're not going to handle that or even a parent who punishes i know some parents have been like you know i found out my kid was using or looking at porn and i said if i ever catch you doing this again you know no friends for four months and it's like that really like that is that is not the hill you want to die on like you you want to just like you were saying i mean make making punishments for that kind of thing is only going to make it that much more exciting yeah i mean and also you don't really have to do much to make sex more exciting. Um, it's all, they talk about the four Fs. Um, I mean, it's like the basic survival instincts, um, and that's 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 one of them. And um, you, it's it's gonna happen, uh, and they're gonna be drawn to it, uh, which is totally normal mm-hmm. and natural. We're here with Megan Maz talking about her research on sex and pornography. And we're not done yet. Here's a look at what's coming up in the second half of the show. Because, you know, they, the kids are going to know if you start blushing, you know, about birth control or kissing, they're going to think if they ask you about porn, they're going to give you a stroke. So you're absolutely right in that we are moving away from an abstinence-only approach in sex education because the studies show that it just doesn't work. And actually, if your goal is, as a family or a parent, you know, if your goal is to have your kid wait until they're married to have sex or have your kid wait until they're in college or in, you know, a serious committed relationship to have sex, the best thing you can do is make sure they have comprehensive sex education because that actually requires a ton of vocabulary. Um, Lots of skills and comfort with their own body and knowing how their body reacts and, you know, being able to say things like, I'm not okay with oral sex. Like, I'm okay with touching and making out or something. What are your boundaries? Knowing them beforehand and maybe practicing how to advocate for those in really difficult situations. You need skills. Yeah. Versus just saying, like don't do it because then what happens is they don't have skills to prepare for the situations that they will inevitably be in. And so when they get in those situations, they're not prepared with contraception. And then it also shows that actually for girls in particular, then they're more likely to have their first sexual experiences are sexual assault or, you know, unwanted experiences because they are just 
they have no skills, no preparedness for those situations. Want to hear the full interview? Sign up for a subscription today. You get unlimited access to all the interviews I've conducted. It's completely affordable and your subscription helps support the work we do here at Talking to Teens. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next time.